0: Sue Nelson and welcome to the first episode of Create the Future, a new podcast brought to you by the Queen Elizabeth Prize for Engineering. Throughout the series, we'll be showcasing the incredible breadth, skill and creativity of engineers. And it seemed appropriate to start us off with John Brown, aka Lord Brown of Maddingley, engineer, businessman, writer and member of the House of Lords. When he was Chief Executive Officer of BP, Lord Brown was praised for bringing in more environmentally friendly production and instigated a plan introducing solar power to 200 of its retail outlets. He's currently the chairman of L1 Energy and chairman of the Queen Elizabeth Prize for Engineering Foundation. I began by asking how he would describe the life of an engineer.
1: Well, an engineer sits in the middle between discovery, what happens in the lab, in people's heads, and on the other side, the market and humanity. And I like to think engineers are like Janus, they've got two faces looking in two different directions, and they make ideas possible. So they make things. Whatever they do, in the end, they make something, and that's important for humanity
0: and it 's creative as well this this making you always associate making something with being creative, which is not always a word that is associated with engineering, even though it should be it 's all about
1: creating things there 's nothing non creative about engineering uh, there may be actually there 's not nothing non creative about almost any pursuit involved in taking an idea and making it as something which is useful for people. That's an act of creation and they happen in millions of ways every single day. People just need to think of themselves as creative people because they are.
0: For you, what would you say was the act of creativity within engineering that you're most proud of?
1: For myself, the things I've done, I was very proud of being able to work on developing some of the greatest oil fields in the world. This was a long time ago, but I remember being involved in the development of the Alaskan fields in Prudhoe Bay, uh, which were deemed to be impossible to develop. They were underground, obviously, with 2,000 feet of permafrost on top of them. We were very worried about melting the permafrost during the activities. We didn't do that.
0: Thank goodness. Uh,
1: Absolutely, (laughs) forbidden. No one wants to do that sort of thing. No one wants unintended consequences to overwhelm the good that's being done. So it was a great uh, endeavor. Uh, And what I liked about it for me is I became an engineer because I wanted to solve problems that nobody else had solved before for the benefit of humanity, which is what I think I've done. Uh, And I continue to do in my career, whether it's in oil and gas or renewables, or in the many other things I do today.
0: I must give you a great sense of pride then, in terms of knowing that you were a part of something like that.
1: It does, Uh, and the word is part, because most engineering is done in teams, and part of the act of engineering is leading teams of people to show them that they can do far more as a team individually than they could do by themselves and to show people that they have greater strengths than they think themselves, and therefore creating something which is unusual and different.
0: Now, I've noticed the word humanity come up several times already, and you've written several books about business and engineering, and your latest one, Make, Think, Imagine, Engineering the Future of Civilization. The sort of humanity and civilization aspect is obviously... Quite important to you as well in terms of making people appreciate the role that engineering has had in the way that we live today.
1: Engineering pervades almost everything that we do today and is the foundation of civilization. Uh, Without engineering, without engineered products, from the very beginning, uh, a hand axe, a prehistoric hand axe, through to the most complicated thing we're building today, probably the James Webb Telescope which will go to the second Lagrangian point and probably look closer to the beginning of time than we've ever seen before and probably show us some more exoplanets that we've never seen, these two things straddle extraordinary activities, extraordinary activities which really found civilization. So it's not enough because on top of this you need the pursuits that tell us about the human condition and excite and expand our minds, and also tell us, very importantly, not the mere fact that in engineering you can do something and therefore you should do it. It asks the question, you can do something, should I do it? And that's what understanding the human condition gives you. But all of this bundle is about creating something greater for humanity. That's why I, start, I entitled the book Make, Think, Imagine. Everyone says it's the other way around. And I said, well, probably not. Uh, Engineering about making things. It's about thinking about how to use them. And then it's imagining for the next step. And one of the great things about humans, as opposed to machines, is they can imagine. They can be in places they've never been, doing things they've never thought of, with people that never existed yet. Uh, and that is imagination.
0: When engineers have so many skills, creative, imaginative, technical, why are we in such a mess? It feels like in terms of the world today, people are worried about whether it's climate change, sustainability. It feels like engineers have the solutions, but the will isn't always there politically, perhaps, to put those ideas into practice. Do you think this could be solved by having more engineers within politics, perhaps? Or is there another answer?
1: So I'd like to step back and and, and be realistic. I I think every engineered product, every every engineering activity you have, also has a, a dark side, a downside. But sometimes it's unintended. So I really don't think anyone imagined when we started burning fossil fuels two which created great progress, no one actually thought that they were going to damage the climate of the world. They only understood that later. So what, what engineers do is they do create things that come with the good and the bad. We have to bias them strongly towards the good, and getting rid of the bad requires us to create another engineered product or system. So we have all the technologies we need to solve Climate change. We can do this now. What we have not got is the policy instruments, your point about politicians, we don't have the policy instruments to make it really possible. I think most people would think that we should. One of the biggest things to do would be to have a carbon tax of sufficient scale to force people to reduce carbon. A big tax, which could then be used to redistribute to the population so that the taxation doesn't become regressive now in order to do things you do have to understand some substance you can't go around skimming lightly on the top so i do think politics needs to be advised very strongly by engineers and probably scientists but pro- probably a lot of engineers because it's very practical and it should be popular by people who listen not necessarily engineers i would hope so I'm a member of the House of Lords, and I think there are only three fellows of the Royal Academy of Engineering in the House of Lords, not too many. So I think we'd like to see more people to pursue different careers, not just engineering, but engineering into politics, engineering, of course, into business, business into politics. But that's not the will of the time. It's not the drift of what people do today. I hope it will change, but more importantly... I hope people will listen to the substance of solutions, because there are solutions to so many things, and also listen to what's real and not real. For example, today, uh, we're very focused on AI, uh, and AI is lifted in a, in a sea of hype, a lot of hype behind this. And so people get worried about, of course, the hype leading to conclusions that may not be real, that. Robots will eat us all or uh, we will have, uh, you know, we would all be extinct because machines will take over. This is far from the truth. Machines, AI in particular, which of course is founded on 50 years worth of hardware development that people forget. You know, what's powering AI is a huge amount of hard stuff. AI is very important and will be developed, I'm sure, for many applications which are specific. The idea of general intelligence being artificial will require us, I think, to first define what we mean by general intelligence. No one's got there yet. So we've got a long time to go, maybe infinity. I like to think that a lot of these scares need to be put in place by people who understand a little bit more of the context.
0: I was quite surprised that so few members of the Royal Academy of Engineering are in the House of Lords. Sometimes, do you ever think that it's uh, scientists that who gain the credit for a lot of engineering success? You mentioned James Webb Space Telescope earlier. As you said, that couldn't happen without engineers. The Hubble Space Telescope couldn't have happened without engineers. But often when people celebrate its successes, they're looking at the images that are the science that comes down from it. And, and perhaps we do take engineers a little bit for granted.
1: We do. I like to tell people that engineers have saved far more lives than any clinician or physician has over time. It's absolutely true. Advances in medicine, have been based on engineering breakthroughs. And if you doubt it, look at sewers, look at clean water, look at what happens in an intensive care unit, look at what happens in an operating theatre. So engineers, I think, have been taken for granted. They are there. They take discoveries every day. You hear them on the radio. Some of these discoveries are maybe 20 to 30 years off application and people are talking about them as if they're today. What happens between that and getting something you can use is the very hard work and thoughtfulness of engineers. Engineers have to create things, but in the end, they have to be created so there's no doubt in their utility. You know, mind people that Canadian professional engineers still wear a ring on their little finger, which is made from a bridge that collapsed. And it reminds people that whatever you do, it's got to be done so that it cannot be doubted. Uh, And that's what engineers have to do. That may sound dull to people, but actually the creation of things that work. Take a car. We expect to get into a car and we expect it to work. Turn on. If it doesn't work, we get very angry. It doesn't expect us to be fully qualified to use it. It's not as if we've got a pilot's license for each particular model we drive. We can abuse it, we can do all sorts of things to it, and we expect it to work. That's an amazing idea, and we will expect them to work better and better with batteries, uh, with with autonomous systems, still to be made safe, but uh, we expect all these things, and we don't actually think about who did this. I believe that that should be changed, because people need to understand what society, what civilization is built on, which is it's built on the fundamental application of discoveries into things that make a difference to people.
0: One of the aims of the Queen Elizabeth Prize Create the Future podcast is to showcase a variety of engineers from all sorts of areas that perhaps people wouldn't initially think, oh, wow, yeah, that is engineering, whether it's AI or smart cities or or healthcare. I know this is going to be a difficult question to answer unless you've been asked it before, but what would you say has been the greatest contribution to society by an engineering invention that's changed the way we live our lives?
1: This is a very big question, so you have to look for very big impacts. So I think the biggest impacts are the delivery of energy to the world in its various forms, which has allowed progress to happen everywhere, and secondly, the delivery of healthcare that made a difference. These two things—so whether that's sewers right through to the most advanced immunotherapy today—these things, these two big pillars, have allowed society, have allowed civilization to progress, and everything else is built on top of it. Enough energy to do things for the today and for the future. And enough health care to survive to do something with it, everything else is in between and when I was writing my book, I, I talked to a lot of people who were involved in these things, and also in things like shelter and building, you know how do you get people to live in these bigger and bigger cities and actually feel that they own a piece of the city? you know not just give them a box to live in, but maybe give them half a house. And ask them to develop the other half of the house so that they can feel that they own it. That's an engineering idea. It's a systems engineering idea made by a great architect, Alejandro Araverna, from Chile. Uh, but there are plenty of others. you know, Norman Foster, again, talking about you know how do you really use all the spaces in, an, in a city because we more and more people will live in cities to do agriculture, to make the environment different. Uh, there are plenty of ideas in, in every field that will keep us going for the future. And, and we should be proud of that because everyone believes, I suppose a large number of people, I would say, in every generation, believe that the end is nigh. You know, from Malthus who believed that uh, you know, the ability for us to actually get the resources we need would use so much energy that it would reduce the population. Uh, through to lots of peak oil, peak gas, peak copper, peak agriculture, you name it. Uh, and every time engineers have challenged that and have solved a problem, made it more possible for people to do more things in a better way. And I think that's what engineering's is about. Uh, and again and again, it's challenged the boundaries and created something new. And that's what everybody who is involved in engineering should believe that they are doing. That's what they're doing. They're changing the future
0: of humanity. July 2019 is the 50th anniversary of the first human beings on the moon. So our opening podcast in a way that showcases engineers other than yourself focuses on an Apollo engineer. What would you say from those moon landings were the key sort of engineering innovations that helped make it happen. And I know, again, that's a really big question because it's all about engineering, the Apollo moon landing.
1: It, it showed that in peacetime, you could build a great team and a great challenge to do something that's never been done before with safety. It's, it's an outrageous idea to take a human and put them on in another world. That's the main point of it. It was a challenge which was never, had not been met with a finite time scale to get there, with the resources needed and attracting the best people, the best people from all walks of life, because they said, we can do something which is different. We need to do more of that. I think climate change is one of those things that if we get it right, because it's too big a problem to solve in one go, the components are great challenges for the future. Healthcare is also another great challenge. The ability to use all the data we have available on every individual combined together to use in diagnosis and possibly even prognosis, what's going to happen to you in the future. Uh, you know These are great challenges that would be very important for us. So the moon landing was one great peacetime challenge. There were plenty of others in wartime, the Manhattan Project, of course, plenty of others like that. But uh, this was the greatest peacetime challenge. We should remember what its purpose was, which was to galvanize action. Now, out of it, we've got lots of things we still use, whether it's materials or rockets, smaller than they were for the Saturn program, or the ability to make... uh, human environments that allow people to survive in very unusual circumstances. So lots of things have happened, but in the end it's setting that challenge and time.
0: If you were to relive your engineering career again, given the enormous variety of areas now within engineering, probably a lot more so than 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, Would you still stay in energy or is there another area that you think, do you know this is new, that really fascinates me?
1: I suppose the two areas that I really spent my engineering career, one is energy, the other one is information technology. I've been on the board of Intel, for example, for a decade and and before then I, I did a lot in this area. I think I'd probably still pick those two. But, you know, these hypothetical questions, you never know what will happen. I'm intrigued with how uh, medicine is being changed by engineering, by both information, big data, processing the data, learning from the data, AI based on that data, and also medical devices, things that can the body can be put into the body or used to inspect the body that give us much bigger insights to what we're doing and allow more people access... To things. So if you can get people off an operating table five times faster than you could in the past because of some device, then five times the number of people can get access to medicine. So what would I do? Probably the same things, but I might veer in that area because I think it's intriguing and I think there's so much that we don't understand about uh, us, our bodies, disease, that there's tremendous areas to go for.
0: Lord Brown. In our next episode to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the moon landings I'll be joined by former Apollo engineer David Baker and we'll be walking on the surface of Mars with Airbus ExoMars rover engineer Abby Hattie. Do join me then.